Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, home of the world's greatest artist, TLC, Gladys Knight, India Ari, Indigo Girls, and Hartsfield Atlanta Jackson Airport, the Falcons, and Clark Atlanta University. This is The Bright Side with Technicia, a daily show with real people with real experiences. And now, here's your host, Technicia. Okay, guys, I hope that you can actually hear me. Doesn't make sense now. Shit just got real. Okay, guys, we're actually back on uh, a little technical difficulties. I was trying to do a little music right then and there, and then I guess it said, no, ma'am, you're not going to do anything But this technology for you. Anyhow, it's not February, but we're going to talk about it anyway, because love is any time of the month, any time of the year. We're all looking for it. Some of us have been burnt, discouraged from it. You don't went through your first marriage, maybe a couple of two or three. You know who you are. Of course, we have the teenage love. We all been there, done that. And sometimes you just feel like it's not safe. Or perhaps you have been on the other side where it was not so beautiful at all, abusive relationships. And now here goes another opportunity, and you're afraid to take that chance because of your previous relationship. Well, here with me is Dr. Gary Salyer, who's telling you that it is to love actually again. We don't want you to be afraid. We want you to get out there and find that soulmate that you've been so much searching for. Now, Dr. Gary Sawyer is a master transformational relationship coach who helps people rewrite the rules for love in their brains. This allows amazing shifts to happen in a very short period of time so that people could have the extraordinary relationship they want and deserve. He speaks to a national audience as a featured guest for the Great Love Debate and also various celebrity TV and radio shows. His life's purpose is to change a generation of faith with love. He's also the author of the forthcoming book, Faith to Love Again, which I have the pleasure to have my hands on, How to Release the Pain of Past Relationships and Attract Your Soul Mate. So without further ado, I'd like to bring Dr. Gary Sawyer on. And if you're listening to the replay, please make sure you share it with your friends and your family. Share the value with others. And you could call in at 347-426-3751. The lines are open if you have any questions regarding love, relationship issues. The line is here now. 
So, as again, without further ado, I'm bringing Dr. Gary Sawyer on. Gary, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you for taking that time out today. Thank you for having me, Technicia. You're quite welcome. So, we know people have people out there having issues. It's not February, but like I said, we're talking about love here. We're talking about getting a group of things. What will probably first and foremost, I want to ask this though, Doc. Sorry, what brought you? What led you to write the book, Safe to Love Again? Well, I guess there was two of them. You know, uh, there were all my clients and people who came to some of my workshops that said, "You've got to write the book up about this." Um, and you know, so that was. I had one client tell me, "If you don't write the book, I'll haunt you on the other side." <laughs> so we didn't want to be haunted for a while. Uh, but it really started way back a long time ago. Basically, when I was seven, I noticed that there were a lot of people in my family that didn't feel loved and weren't happy. And, and for a seven-year-old, nobody ever, nobody ever, one, you know, understands why people don't love each other. And so I swore I'd never be divorced and miserable like that. Uh, so I went to college, had two degrees uh, to stave off a divorce in my senior year. You know, after almost completing a psychology degree and one in religion, a professor gives me a test and tells me all the results, calls me into his office. And as I'm walking, I says, oh, I forgot something. By the way, you have a 90% chance of having a divorce. And it was like a bombshell. So I literally stayed a fifth year of college, uh, got another degree in uh, marriage and family, said, dodge that bullet. And then 12 years later, my first wife is asking for a divorce, and I'm like stymied. Uh, I don't understand, and I, I thought I'd done everything I could to, to escape that 90% thing. So then I do like seven and a half years of therapy in between that divorce and my second marriage, and within you know a few years, I know that relationship is headed for the divorce courts too, and four years later it is. And then when I began to notice that I did more therapy, and yet nothing had changed. Not my core style of picking nor relating. I had been given tools for managing pain, but not really transforming my core way of relating. And it was at that moment that I said, no one should work this hard, do therapy, do degrees, and have these results. If they can't crack the code, I will. And then that became my life's purpose, to find out what really allows people to ch- you know, to change the way they, they create love in their lives so that it lasts. And that's what the book's about. Most definitely, but you you would say honestly that communication is probably one of the main keys to keeping your relationship, or you think sometimes that just doesn't work at all? No, I think communication is obviously key. I mean, when I work with couples, I work with that a lot. But it's not just the words and it's not just the content. It's the feelings that are being communicated. That's really the heart and soul of the book. What what are you know? The book is about the four feelings that create love, and if those words are help are helping you feel welcoming, they they're good. If those words don't help you feel welcomed, they're not so good. If those words help you feel worthy, they're really great. If not so worthy, not at all. So the words and the communication must communicate four feelings: welcomed, worthy, cherished, and empowered. And a lot of couples, you know, they once they start communicating, sometimes they go, I'm going to speak my truth. But if it's not empowering and cherishing and worthy, then that communication isn't going to work either. 
Right, I do agree. But you have some, I think most of the time, these relationships don't work out. Even in your book, you know you have one statement, you're lonely. A lot of people find these relationships based on their loneliness instead of just finding something that's really going to work with you and find that self-love because you have to work on yourself before you even jump into a relationship. No, no, there are a lot of people that are trying to fill the void, and that almost never works, <laughs> um, you know, because we come from a deficit. And if we are lonely, which often, which a lot of times people are lonely because they don't feel worthy of love, um, and some part of them pulls back, um, or they feel hopeless because they don't feel worthy. And one of the things I've noticed is when we don't truly feel worthy ourselves, then it's hard to make another person feel worthy. So who do we attract when we feel un- unworthy? We attract other people who will who feel that same unworthiness or will give us that feeling, and then we get even more hopeless. So you're right. We do have to work on ourselves, and it's really working on giving ourselves back that feeling that, you know, that love can be safe, we can, and we have a right to feel worthy. Once you feel worthy, you don't pick people who make you feel unworthy because you feel worthy. And that's really the key is learning how to feel so worthy of love uh, that you automatically begin attracting different people. Right. Um, I was thinking of when you said um, worthiness being worthy. Of course, you talk about a little bit about that with the cookie-cutter experience. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain that a little bit for us, Jerry? What cookie-cutter experience is that? Um, dealing with a relationship, cutting someone off at the start of it? Yeah. Yeah. I talk in the book that there are these rights that people have. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get between zero and three, you get these six rights. And these rights become your, like, templates or your permission slips for love, right? Uh, now, you say the, the original, we may, let's just take worthy again, because there's an epidemic of unworthiness out there. People getting ghosted, people getting broken up with needlessly, feeling like chopped liver. There's a lot of things that are out there in the dating culture uh, and uh, that make people feel unworthy. But usually, but say you have, didn't have a right to reach out for your needs. That's what's underneath worthy, right, is I can reach out for my needs and it feels good and I can take and receive and then I can give back, but give and take, give and take. But say you learned that it wasn't so safe to to reach out. Like in the book I talk about Gwen. And Gwen was, you know, after uh, a divorce between her parents, she was on a walk uh with her father one weekend he had custody and he was a little resentful of child care payments and she says daddy there's some ice cream over there you know uh can i get an ice cream and and he pulls a wad of hundred dollar bills out of his pocket and says this is what you cost me every every month you don't deserve an ice cream cone she stopped reaching out now after that and when she grew up so it, it wasn't safe to reach out to a man to have your needs met. So when she came to me, she was a financial planner. She goes, I keep you know, attracting these these low-earning investments. And that's how she referred to them, right? And uh, and every man either couldn't give her, her her needs or wouldn't give her needs. Sometimes they were married. Sometimes they were just takers. The, the template was, I can't 
give. I mean, I can give, but I can't receive. And that cookie cutter that she got early, I can't ask for my needs, I can't get my needs met, I can't receive, was all over her life by the time she was a, she was 40. That's the cookie cutter going elsewhere. That's what I'm talking about. It could be another one, like say you were disempowered as a child, then suddenly you're, you keep attracting people that will dominate you or you'll lose yourself in a relationship. The cookie cutter gets set early for what you can expect of love, what you can ask of love, what rights you have for love, and then the, until those rights are adjusted, the brain keeps opting for the experience it has the rights for, creating these little cookie-cutter experiences that are like Groundhog Day. They keep showing up and showing up, and you go, why is this showing up? And you often think, well, all men or all women are this way, but it's actually just your picker that's using just the rights it has rather than the secure rights I talk about. We have a full right to reach out. You have a full right to have a voice. Okay, I'm following you, um Dr. Gary, but yeah. for the ones um, for the ones who probably on the verge of getting there, where they're about to have a divorce, what would you say to them to reconcile all that so they don't even have to go that far to get a divorce? Because when you started off, there was a love connection there. You you went with each other for a purpose, but now you're yeah. not seeing that flame, that spark anymore. You feel like that's the end of it. So what do you suggest for those? Okay, so <laughs> it follows up on what? When people select each other, yes, they do fall in love, and they hope for better, right, um, than what they ever had before. But some part of them only has the rights for a certain experience, and they will, and their brain will be attracted to people that will give them what I call missing rights. So while they are thinking I'm going to find someone who really gives lusciously to me or really can hear my voice and makes me feel empowered or whatever it is, you know, some parts of do I, do I really have the, the rights for that? No, I don't. Remember, it wasn't safe to reach out as a kid. You remember what happened with dad or whatever happened with mom? No, I need to. And so we will select each other as partners for exactly the experience we're having exactly the cookie cutter, the painful cookie cutter. And when I work with with couples, the art is to listen in the first few sessions and hear their missing rights, and they will inevitably create a very painful pattern where they give each other the missing rights that their system like. For instance, one woman, she was she never had a right to belong. She always uh, she had a role, a big right to separate alcoholic family and very abusive so she never felt cherished never felt pretend she was dying to feel cherished but her picker said i don't really have a right to belong after two divorces she finds somebody at a high school reunion that she grew up with and he on the other hand um when they start dating had no right to create his own experience he just he always felt disempowered, and he only had a right to feel disempowered in a relationship. What's that look like? In a marriage of over 20 years, he never once initiated intimate relations, okay? Had no voice, could not stand up and create his own experience. So the day comes when, as after they got engaged, that his ex-wife and children said, we don't want the new one at Christmas. Just let that go. And he has no voice. So 
he has no feeling with heart, so he says, okay, I'll just make everybody happy. And he excludes her. What's that? That's her missing right to belong, <laughs> right? And then she gets all upset and comes after him with every amount of criticism, giving him, once again, his missing right to feeling disempowered. And when he feels disempowered, he withdraws, and now she's got a bigger hit of not, I don't get a chance to belong. And then he goes, and so the cycle starts going down. They both gave each other exactly the missing right that they had. The trick was to give her back a right to belong and to feel cherished and for him to feel empowered, to have a voice so that he could say, this is the woman I love and she and Christmas and all holidays were, are going to revolve around us as a couple. When she felt included, then he she could empower him. You know, even helping him find a job when he was, because uh, he she was a very powerful woman. And now suddenly, when he feels empowered, he includes her. When she feels included, he, she empowers him. And now things circle up. That's the key to get every to get every uh, couple to realize they chose each other for exactly the experience that they had. To say thank you for that, and then how can we choose better? That's the key. Well, I like that, Key, and I hope everyone took good notes on that because our divorce rates are at a high percentage, I'm, I'm assuming, because so many people just fall out of love or they're looking in other places they're not supposed to be looking. So my thing, too, I would love to add on to that is to work it out first before you go filling off in the other parts of the grass. Um, but there are some there are some rights in a relationship that I believe you mentioned also in your book, Dr. Gary. Um, mm-hmm. How do you go about attaining all those rights in a relationship? Okay. So the six rights we get usually from zero to three, it doesn't mean later experience can't affect it. <clears throat> but the, the first time the templates are put in is pretty important, right? Um, a right to exist is the first one where it's, it's, it's good to be here and to be in your body and be connected to life and you can feel grounded and you can be in your body as well as your head and, and have emotional connection where the world feels like a cozy, warm oyster. I call that the feeling of welcome with joy. Then there's a right to reach out to have your needs met, to feel worthy and nourished. So it's okay to reach out, ask for your needs, and to know the world's going to respond in an attuned, congruent way, and then you can take and receive and then give from that fullness you feel. Then there's the right to separate and belong. This is the one that affects most couples. It's not, you know, when the child gets mobility, they learn, well, mom's over there and I'm over here. But they still, you know how children play, but they still want you in the room because they want to have not only separation but supervision. They want support. This is the right where you know you have the right to be a me, but also in a we, a supportive we that empowers you. Not a suffocating we, but an empowering. So you can come home at night to a beloved and know you have a home port in their heart. To be a true we, as well as a me. Not just a Marlboro mate, but a true we. Then there's the right to to create your own experience where it's, you have the right for intimacy. You have the right to feel empowered with choice. And it's okay to have all of you, to be loved for good and bad, the kind times and the mean. Sometimes we can all be mean, right, or less attuned. 
a right to assert and have a voice and to have your wins in life. So a partner will share influence with you. And then when you add all those together, it's a right to love and be loved. That means I can love you, but you, and then I expect I have a right to be loved right back. And that includes both intimacy and sexuality in the same package. Sometimes it can get split where people will say, you know, the hot ones, why can't the hot ones and the, and the good ones be in the same package? That's a split right. <laughs> so if we have those six rights, right, and we can feel welcomed and worthy and cherished and empowered in a relationship, then we feel pretty good. But when any of those feelings are missing, there's usually problems. Some, if one of them's missing, you're probably thinking, if you're out there listening, one to ten, how welcome do you feel? One to ten in your relationship, whether you're dating or a couple, how worthy? One to ten. How cherished do you feel? And one to ten, how empowered do you feel? If one of those are missing, you think, yeah, we got some problems. If two are missing, you think we should see if probably what's my best friend's therapist number. And if three or four of those feelings are missing, then it's toxic. And the key to it, helping couples make it is to find out what feelings are missing on both of their maps. What you know, what they were, and so they they both have all four of these brain, these feelings, because these four feelings are your brain's original GPS for love. It uses them for your entire life. Am I welcomed, worthy, cherished, and and empowered? If so, we feel loved. And the trick is to giving both those people a right to have those feelings so they can give them to each other. And when that happens with a little alignment and to increase the we, miracles can happen. And see, I like that. I like these rights because it kind of gives you sort of that little stand for some boundaries. And like you said, the rights in a relationship, because I think whatever relationship, you do need some boundaries and rights. A lot of times we go in these relationships and you don't know what's required of the other person or you're assuming that this is what they're going to take or that was not going to take. Now we've been together for two or three years. Oh, now I find out this is not what you really like. Oh, this is what you're about. But now it's kind of too late. Because all yeah. that should have been squared away. Let's ask those questions up in the beginning. Get your paper out, ladies. Man, this is for you, too. It's, uh, it's for everybody. This book is not just entitled just for the rights, for feminine rights. But we're, we're inquiring this book for men to pick up, too. You have, you have relationship problems. We don't want to make it look like it's just all about us women. Men have feelings, too, <laughs> along the way. Oh, I, I tell my own story pretty bluntly out there, you know. And and I even and there are a few sections in the book where I explicitly say talk to men. You know, men need to be able to say, yeah, I have these feelings. I have a need for these feelings. That you know, you know, we men will say things like, you know, honey, I will I will jump over any mountain. I will swim over any any stream. I will fight any beast. Just don't make me look at my feelings. Oh my God, is that a feeling? And it's like it's the Loch Ness Monster or something. It's just a feeling. And women need to feel our feelings, and we need to feel theirs. The biggest gap in, in couples today is when men cannot show up as emotional providers. We're, we have the whole financial thing done. At least many of us do. Some don't. But, you know, but it's emotionally as well because women live in an ocean of, of emotions. If we give them a desert – it's not going to work for them. It's like putting a fish in the middle of the Sahara. You know, 
We've got to show up, and we have a right to these feelings. Our brains have them. Culture is told. You us. do. Yes. You sure do, because we mm-hmm. always take it upon ourselves, thinking that as 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 women, we believe that most men just have one emotional um, factor going on. But I'm understanding what you're where you're coming from. This is not just all about just communication. Um, this is not, it's not just focused on one factor. That's why I'm glad you explained all the six factors. We want, because there's so much more when we're talking about a relationship. It's so much tied into it. And I do believe in the same. When you're together, you become one. You're feeding off one another. Your emotions, your spirituality, everything mentally draining you. Um, so there, there's a lot that makes in this communications and Exactly, um, and one and one of the things I talk about is not just individual rights. That both individuals have this right. Yes, that has to be replaced. But I, the one part I think I'm most proud of the book is I talk about the we. When I'm dealing with any couple, my real client is right between their heads. It's the we. It's not and not just the two me's, but the we. Show me a couple without a we, and I'll show you a war. And so what I talk about in the book is the we. That's between you has rights too. So we have a right to exist. If you're not given a right to exist, you know, if a guy says, well, what's this whole thing about a we? There's just two me's here. Uh, that doesn't work. The we has to be given a right. The we between you, that partnership, has to be given a right to have its needs met. The time together, the quality time, the, you know, the communication, you know, the touch, the loving, the loving kiss for six seconds, Right. And then it has a right to separate bone. Does the we, is it, can it be an arbiter between the competing needs so that both feel cherished? Does the we have a right to create different experiences when you get bored or things aren't working so you, you have options and you're not stuck in a rut? Does the we have a right to assert and to say, this needs to be dealt with. Please look at me. There's a problem here. And does the we have a right to love and be loved? If we can give that we all the same rights that we have, Magic happens, but this for couples, it is both individual rights and giving that we a full set of of rights, so it shows up and becomes the bond and the glue that empowers both of those knees to be more than they have ever imagined that they could be separately. Because a great we empowers a me, and you show me a me without a we behind them, and you will not find very many powerful people. Most of us succeed because we have a background of support behind us, like those old Verizon commercials where the guy was walking and he had a whole bunch of a whole network behind him. That's what we were born to be. We were born to have a right to separate, be out there, but to belong, to have a whole host of emotional, supportive people in our lives, including that special one who does, who knows us intimately and well. Matt, um, Don, Dr. Gary, you made me think about something that we were discussing on affirmations calls. One of my mentor, Hazik Ali, who's a receleration coach, he always helps out a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, he just spoke on that today. He said network grows faster than individuals. You know, self-made is actually a myth. We we think uh, we think it's okay to be self-made. No, it's not. You need a network. You need a team behind you. If I work for the Marriott. 
if one person just was working Marriott, there would be, it would suffer. It would suffer. Like when we're short staff, it suffers because you don't have time to teamwork. You're focusing on your own tables. You're worried about your own guests. You're not worried about somebody else's. So it kind of stinks and makes it everyone look bad, um, you know. Um, what else? He, he mentioned also that no one accomplishes anything in a bathroom, and awareness makes saying the same more painful than change. Let that sink in, everybody. Awareness makes saying the same more painful than change. And, I mean, that was it was like right on target. And, and, and we can even talk about elephant, the elephant in the room when we talk about um, in regards to your book, because um, I don't feel that anyone, you're really not, I guess I could say you're not secure in these attachment styles. You're really not. You have to go outside of and learn to grow, um, as we said, uh, spiritually and physically and mentally, Dr. Gary. Oh, yeah, you know. Let's you know you know in terms of attachment theory, I talk about this is all about getting a secure attachment. And for those out there who maybe haven't heard of attachment theory, you know there are three styles that brains are wired to love and be loved, and it's online by the time you're one years old. This is early stuff. You know if you separate a one year old child from their mother based on how they return, you can tell what their love style is or their attachment style and how it will track. There are the secure who are very comfortable loving and be loving. They calm down easily, and they usually pick secure partners and have lasting marriages. Then there are the the avoidance who, because they didn't get the attention they really needed, things uh, they they look as a child like very precociously wise and mature and independent. But basically, they're checked out. And later on, and their their worst fears they will be dependent on or depend upon somebody. They become Mr. Mrs. Uh, unavailable or dismissive or or no commitment. Then they're the anxious. They got just enough attention on and off, on and off, on and off, that some part says, I'm going to fight to lock this thing down. And so they tune things up. They create protest and drama, and their worst fear is, when does love go away? You know, they're the ones that say, why didn't you text me back in 10 minutes? Where were you last night? You know, um, do you still love me? Uh, and their drama drives people away. They create their own worst fear. Now, the interesting thing is whether you're anxious, secure, or avoidant, one truth is true about all three of those. Nobody's wrong here because at some point in time, <clears throat> your brain took the best deal available. Absolutely, positively, if you're avoidant or anxious, that was the best deal. And we, And without that adaptation, you wouldn't be on the planet. And like, for instance, in my own life, I tell this in the book, you know, I, I had a borderline mother who was very abusive, physically abusive. Now, so I, had, I learned that the best place to be was up in your room separate because you didn't want to belong to the we that was down there where you could get knocked against the wall, right? So I, the template for love goes, I got way more right to separate than to belong. Now, <clears throat> separate looks pretty good. Belonging with being hit against walls doesn't. Is that the best deal? Absolutely. But when my brain gets more comfortable being separate than to belong, to create a we, and my first wife complains, you know, I don't feel like we have a we. I feel lonely in this relationship. Even though I loved her dearly, <clears throat> some part was saying, remember the last time we were in a we? We got to pull back. 
not knowing that my safety setting was set for separate versus separate and belong, at some point she checked out. <laughs> and I get it. But it, and so what it was is that part of the brain that, that learns the safety, that it's better to have this limited version of love because at one time it was the best deal. There's no, that part of the brain is timeless. It doesn't have any security memos that say this expires at age 18. The trick, getting your brain to find the, when was the moment it lost that right and what flavor of safety was it seeking? And then if we can give your brain back the feeling of safety that it's seeking, tied to what you really want in love, <clears throat> magic happens. But if we don't find that flavor of safety, then the system will fight us for survival. And that's the key with every couple or single I've ever worked with. This is why the book is called Safe to Love Again. But that part of the brain will take a better deal. We just have to get in rapport and find out what it needs. And if we do, then it can now it's very safe for me to belong and have a we. But not so long as some part of my brain is saying, well, what do you mean, honey, about a we? Remember the last time we were we? You know, that's what happens. And so many, and, they, and couples pull away or they don't give or they resist. Why? <clears throat> or they disempower each other because they don't feel safe. Yeah. And and they don't. And I'm I'm sure that is what you're able to pull out of them because we got to search in this case, find out what you're actually scared of. What's your biggest fear of it all? Is it losing that person? Is it the avoid? Are you scared that they're avoiding you? You know, because mostly women, in most cases, we have the insecurity. Okay, am I picking up weight? I've seen this on Facebook. A young lady was like, I, 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 was, I was in this relationship at a certain size still the same size. Now all of a sudden I've been antagonized about my size. Like no one should have to feel like they need to look like a supermodel or be plumped to be in a relationship. You shouldn't have to go through that, that downgrading. So um, that's what I was trying to guess. I'm asking Dr. Gary, when you're, when you're digging deep into this, when counseling these couples, is that the angle that you're going for, trying to find out what's scaring them the most? <clears throat> kind of, kind of. I don't know if I phrase it that way, but like what you're talking about, there's this feeling of unworthy there, right? That, and you are worthy to be loved. Uh, let me explain it with one couple. There was, he was very much um, kind of, I need to do my own thing. Uh, and he's all about his own individuality. <clears throat> I got to protect my individuality. I need to do my own thing. Don't, you know, it doesn't feel safe being a we. She, on the other hand, you guessed it, had way more right to separate. As a young woman, she left the house, you know, she left at 16 and never turned back because of an abusive family, and she's dying to be cherished and protected. <clears throat> but when he makes decisions on his own, he doesn't think about her at all, and a lot of times her interests are betrayed or just not acknowledged, and they're on a crucial place. At one point in time, I'm, I'm, I'm actually doing an exercise with him where he just can't empathize. He, it's just not safe. He just stays on his map and never truly steps into her. <clears throat> Every time they talk, it's always back to him, never, oh, you must feel really lonely when that happens. He never steps into her. 
So I'm so to find out I I draw this circle on the ground, and I'm at, and I have him just this is the circle of me, right? And and at one point in time I ask her to step into that circle of me, and and his face goes completely white, and I go what's going on? He says oh my god. He says you know this is so scary, having her inside me. And I said so. And then I said, so what's your brain thinking? I says, my God. He says, when I was a kid, you know, my mother used to pull me out of me and pull and push in somebody else, anybody else that would make me look better. He says, I never got to be me. This still so scary. So at some point in time, no wonder he doesn't want to switch into her. No wonder it doesn't feel safe because I'm going to get completely swapped up for my brother, right? <laughs> Or somebody else that's more impressive, and when we then we could work with that. When we got him safe, having someone to really know him that wouldn't swap him out. So the flavor of safety was the exact flavor of safety was I'll get swapped out, and I'll and I will be erased if I'm part of a we if I step into someone else. When we found that exact flavor and could get him to feel comfortable being part, so he won't get swapped out, you know. The next session, he comes in and they're talking, and he says, "You know, I don't. I thought about that, but I realized that wouldn't protect you." And he looks at me and says, "You know, for the first time, it's. I'm actually thinking, how can I protect her? I'm stopping myself from doing things. The reason that shift happened in two weeks is because he finally got safe, being part of a we in which he would not be swamped out. Now." I mean, after that, their their marriage suddenly went from being on the rocks to being flying, because, you know, he found the flavor of safety to be a part of a we. That's the way it is, and so he felt empowered. We gave him back the true feeling of empowered, not the you're not the boss of me power. That's not power. <laughs> that's not truth. That's not secure power. This secure power is I will show up in an empowered way that empowers you as well. Yeah. We can be the boss of each other <laughs> in a sort of way. I'm not sure if I – actually, I'm, erase, erase, erase on that. But we can share power. We can share influence. That's that's kind of – does that make sense? It does make sense. Now, you're saying both of us in a relationship status can both be the boss? Say that, say that question one more time. I was just saying, um, are you are you and are you saying like if if a person if we got a couple together, you're saying that both of them can be the boss in a relationship? Yes, both both of them have things okay. to store. Both of them have the right to feel empowered. The biggest thing that eighty two percent of the time that uh, mm-hmm. men don't share influence. Uh, there's a there's a technical right. term for them. They're called divorcees. Women don't take it. So both people have to be in an empowering relationship with each other where they – the trick to empowering is I will empower myself in a way that empowers you so that you can then empower me. It's not me empowering myself at your expense. That's betrayal. That's, there's no tr- – yeah. So that's, that's really the key. There's a whole lot more then you actually think when it comes to a relationship, it's, 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 
it seems like it's so simple and basic, but it's not. It's so much more. Because I believe you even had a discussion on that about, like, the survivor mode. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes we go into that. We associate everything with what we already been through with our past experiences. Um, and I get so many guests who have been through experiences where they've been abused uh, badly. And sometimes you take that and inflict it on, upon your new relationship. Yes. I call that the next pace for the ex. <laughs> You know, we load up so many defenses against what happened before that the next pays for the X. And nobody wants to pay for the X. has the prison sentence for the X, the last person, right? The other one gets out and we get the sentence. (laughs) Nobody wants that. You often see this where there has been sexual infidelity. Someone's the next time they're going to clamp down and suddenly the next person is getting, you know, who is very faithful, would never imagine it, uh, uh, is getting asked questions all the time. Every time they're, they're an hour late, where were you? Who were you with? You know, they're, they, the person finds ways to, to invade their, their email account. Uh, everything is scrupulized. And it will drive a secure person away because that's not feeling empowered or, or cherished either, right? They are so worried about it. And you see this all the time. Or as one couple I work with, he he was a really good guy and he wanted a lasting relationship and they, they got engaged. And he had had like four or five previous girlfriends in a row all cheat on him. And he says, well, you know, I know the day's coming when she'll cheat on me and, you know, and I'll forgive her. Uh, you know, it's just, I just know it's coming. And it was like a knife to her heart. You know, he wasn't going to go check her mail, but he, but that, that, <clears throat> that expressed, um, you know, well, I don't know what you even call it, disillusioning hope, um, just was like a knife. And we had to allow him to give up that old grievance and he and to give up <clears throat> that old pain because if he keeps looking for it, he's going to drive. And what I said to him privately was, "You're going to do one of two things. She's either going to leave, or you're going to drive her one day to do the very thing <laughs> you said." And that's not fair for her to pay for these other four. Um, that's the other thing is, even though the bells and whistles are going off his side and everything says we've got to look, that's old security and it's not secure. Yeah. But if you do have a history of it, it's also good to look at why have I chosen that person? And what missing rights kept me to to choose someone who cheated? And what rights do I need so I can choose someone who would never do that? That's the key. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, wow, it's not always easy thought. with that. It isn't. Um, but it's it's like I work with one woman and she had a history of that and when we finally got her to realize that she could choose men and she was worthy of men who weren't married and that her pickers just stopped working uh, stopped picking married men she kept thinking my pickers has got it in for me I keep picking married men I don't know how I'm looking for other people but because she felt so unworthy she found people that would what, what better way to feel unworthy than a than a married man who won't ever marry you for a woman, right? Once she felt worthy, her picker began to spot these guys where it didn't before because she had a different reference feeling for love. Worthy versus unworthy. Worthy picks different than unworthy does. And her words to me were, 
She goes, this is freedom. This is freedom. Not the freedom of checking and checking and checking someone's emails, but the freedom of knowing your picker has picked somebody who really would cherish you above all else and never went astray. That's the key. And it doesn't come by having more and more. I've seen teleseminars by love coaches, you know, 15 ways to make sure your man is not cheating. <laughs> That's a selection error, and <laughs> there's an, and if you and yes, in some relationships where it's happening, I can see where some of those might be useful. But as a general rule, the better thing is to give yourself the feeling of worthy and cherished, and you'll stop picking guys. If you're already in a relationship that's happening, um, that's a whole different animal, and I've healed marriages with that. But as for a single, it's better to give yourself the feeling of cherished and worthy so you pick better than to give yourself a whole army of tools for finding out because the next person is going to pay for this, and it's not fair. Right. Yeah. It's not. No. It's, uh, wow. And the, yeah, and the key here is to not get lost in the woods. Everybody out there, you have a right to feel welcomed. You have a right to feel worthy. You have a right to feel cherished. And you have a right to feel empowered. Focus on restoring those four those four feelings. And when you can feel them in your guts, in your core, so those feelings become your new GPS because they're your brain's original one. That's when everything changes. All the other things are just strategy. But the key thing that fuels love are these four feelings. Restore those four feelings. Find someone who can restore these four feelings and these and those six rights that come from them. And you'll you won't need as many dating strategies or you know, yes, there are some skills that I also teach couples. But essentially, love is all about giving and receiving four feelings: welcomed, worthy, cherished, empowered. Or as a woman that was married 82 years, a, a beautiful Jewish woman who had been married 55 years, she was 82. And I said to them, I had them on stage once, I said, um, what's your one-second soundbite for what makes a lasting marriage? And I think it's the best one I've ever heard. She goes, oh, it's easy. I don't take any BS, and I don't give any BS. In other words, I don't give unwelcomed, unworthy, uncherished, and disempowered, and I don't take it. I give empowered, cherished, worthy, and welcome. And uh, she lived that. And if you can live that way, give no BS, take no BS. That means give the four feelings out of love. Don't give the opposites and don't receive them uh, with a little bit of alignment of values because that is important too, right? Four people, you know, people, one person, two people could give each other the four feelings, but one wants to live in a teepee out in the woods and the other wants a 5,000 square foot home in the burbs. Not so much. But if you, the core of love are these four feelings. If you can reclaim them, your life will change. Sure will. I'm going to definitely agree with you on that. Um, You know, I want to ask this too. When it comes to the attachment, um, in your opinion, what kind of happens if it goes sideways, if it doesn't work out the way that you were planning for them to work out? You mean, are we asking, is there ever a time for, for divorce? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say 85% of the time 
uh, with my couples, I've been able to, you know, find out what part was seeking safety by seeking a dysfunctional relationship and to give them back rights for full love where they can give each other, give better skills, better feelings. But, yes, there are times when a person doesn't want to do the work. They're happy where they are at, and and if and there are times. If someone truly won't come in and do the work, uh, feel welcomed, worthy, and cherished, empowered, and help you feel that way, you know, Sometimes the hard decision is I have a right to feel that and I'll find it with somebody else. And one of the sad things is is many times that's the woman leaving because, you know, and it's at that point the man goes, oh, I've got to change, but it's too late. So, you know, the thing I can, you know, I can tell you, if you're a man out there, if if the woman you love really wants you to come and do the work, do it. It's part of being a provider, you know. And and don't you know we all I've been given that male myth we got to be in power that's not power that's domination and you can't seek supremacy and think you're going to keep intimacy supremacy and intimacy don't work together dear men you know it's real power is the ability to be able to share power that's the and that's what true empowerment is so go in and do the work um, you know. Um, I can tell you that uh, years and years ago, I had a woman. <clears throat> this was before I did the work. This was bef- this part of the experience that led me to this. Um, she asked me to read a book uh, by John Gray, and uh, I blew it off. PhD, I could have read it in a couple of hours, didn't. Years later, uh, I, I was actually talking with John Gray, and and he and I said, he says, you know. He says, you know, if a woman reads your book, I mean, if a man reads your book, it's called a woman gave it to him. I said, I know, a woman gave me your book. And he says, you know, that's never a good deal, right? I go, yes, I know that. Because in the back of the book, years later, I picked it up. I just totally ignored it like guys do, blew her off. I don't even know I loved her, right? It was a, the, 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 the ticket, that she, the receipt for the book was in there, in the back, and the, from the bookstore. She bought two books that day. The book for me that would address the problems she wanted to be addressed, and another book called Deal Breakers, and she sought the deal breaker when I didn't read the book. So just know that when you know that every time, if you're a man, that this is important. Whatever that work is, you need to do, go and do it. I mean, we be honest with you, most men. Uh, would never drive their relationship, uh, their cars the way they do their relationships. Men will, you know, you know if once we hear a little funny sound in the noise, we go, my, you know, we got to get that thing checked out. Take it in the mechanic. Oh, we got to make sure that oil is changed every 4,000 miles. But we, then we get in a relationship, oh, and we, you, you, the transmission's falling out, the, the engine's overheating. We go, oh, there's no problem here. <laughs> And why would we ever want to change oil? Let's do it every 100,000 miles. And then we wonder why the relationship breaks down. If we, because we would never drive our, uh, our cars the way we do our relationships. If we cherish and protect our cars, why can't we do relationships? So that's my, my, my message to any man listening to this. We can do better than this, my friends. Yes, you can. I'm glad you're saying it, Dr. Gary. Get on the guys. You can do way more. You can do way better. You can. Step up, guys. Yeah. You do. I need all my guys out there to step up as well. 
as to women and stop swaying away from every time you get a little bump in the road and it doesn't go your way. And and sometimes it doesn't. That's the thing about relationships. It's going to have its ups and And, of course, you know, Gary has his downs, plenty of downs. <laughs> that's, that's the growth you know, and, process. And, and, and just for the uh, to say, you know, men, women, cherished and protected is how I decide that. For men, we don't use the word cherished and protected, but I'll bet the word respected is there. And protected, I'll bet the word someone's got my back. How we would normally say mm-hmm. it is honored or respected and someone's got my back. We might use different terms, but it's actually the same feeling. <laughs> you know, that's the key. Every couple deserves to feel cherished and pers- and protected. Or if you're a man, respected and someone's got your back. Um, I, I worked with one couple. It wasn't a love business. They'd been married 25 years. They were soulmates. They had a great marriage. And they were dealing with this uh, legal issue. Uh, my business coach had sent them to me, uh, say, can you help them because you're good at changing people's states? And, yeah, I can do that. And at one point, they're sitting on the couch. We're talking about you know, better ways of working and how they can empower themselves because they both felt very disempowered. So I'm working on that feeling, <laughs> but in a more business way. And at one point, she goes, yeah. She goes, but if you come after us, and both of them together turned, she goes, they said, we get in the foxhole together, and it's guns blazing. And they both turned in the same moment on the couch, guns back back to back to each other with their fingers going out. <laughs> and you could see the unity. We got each other's back. We cherish and protect. We get in the foxhole with each other. And I thought, this is why they have a great marriage for 25 years. They've got each other's back, you know, and that's what true empowerment is. Not going off and doing your own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. No woman's going to boss me. No man's going to be the boss of me. That's that's kind of like I want. What's underneath that is, you know, once I felt disempowered and now I'm empowered. Screw you. That's never going to be a great lasting relationship. But where you both cherish and protect, and you say, hmm. What would really empower you? What can I give you? And then you can empower me. That's how love is meant to grow. Right. But a lot of this comes from, as you discussed before, that we go through that because of the things that went on in the household. However it was for you when you was a little child. Yes. Yep. It's and it's all you know going back and and resetting, working with the little one, you know, and and truly um, giving yourself up. Sometimes it can be later relationships, you know, a bad first marriage or something like that. Um, sometimes that affects things. I'll grant you that. But most times it goes back. And what we find out is most marriages, when you're this typical couple fights or two five-year-old adaptive children trying desperately to protect themselves from the pain. And if we let those five-year-olds talk, because they're only talk the way they think adults <laughs> act, right? Um, it'll destroy a relationship. It's getting those, it's restoring the rights. It's letting, let, you know, having compassion for the little, but not letting them um, run the relationship. And if we can give each other that beautiful feeling, because there is an epidemic of hopelessness. If there's anything I want to say here at the end, it's, you know, you deserve love, period. You know, 
you, you know, don't buy any. I don't how, care how many times you've been ghosted or broken up with. You deserve love. You were born with that. If you take anything away from this, you deserve to be loved fully with all four of these feelings. And it's just, and your fate with love, you don't have to have false hope. You know, you can have a real hope based on better rights, and that will truly lead you to someone who loves you and create a great relationship. And if you can upgrade, find someone that can upgrade your brain so you have these feelings and these rights with a few skills, you can have a wonderful, lasting relationship. Well said, Dr. Gary. Well said. That was well beautifully put. You, um, I think I want to close out a little bit with what you discussed in your book, Counterfeit Love. That was interesting of the way you even came up with the subtopic, Counterfeit Love. And when before even going into reading, I thought about, I was like, counterfeit, automatically I thought about money, being fake, mm-hmm. <laughs> the fake love that you get, the ones, oh, I love you, you're the only one for me, you're the most beautiful person in the world. Now, you know that you haven't seen the whole wide world. You have not seen the whole wide world, so how am I the most beautiful person in the world? I never got that. I always thought that was a catch line anyway. When some, when a guy tell you that you're the most beautiful woman in the world, really? So you've been to China, Asia, you've been all over? Because I never understood that one. <laughs> but Dr. Garrett, explain your take on that when you when you was writing that part about counterfeit love. Well, the story I tell about, you know, a lot of times we get all these, you know, we get dating advice, we get relationship we have these little checklists and mental things, you know, oh, I know this and that, you know, but... Uh, the way the FBI did the counterfeit division back uh, in the 60s and 70s when it when there wasn't all the high-tech stuff, right? <laughs> but at that time, you know, there were all sorts of things about serial numbers and the quality of the paper, and there were a whole technical list of you could memorize the manual and what real money is and isn't, and you have all the details down, but that's not how they did it. When they were training new agents in the counterfeit division, what they did is they brought them into a room like it was like a you know, like a bank room with tellers, right? Um, and all week, from Monday to Friday, all they did was handle money with their hands, real real money. And then on Friday afternoon, they slipped in counterfeit bills, and because they had been so their brains got so used to what real money felt like they spotted it in an instant they felt it they didn't have to go and only you know through the all the list right only then did the FBI teach them all the things and counterfeit love is when people say well i know she loves me or i know he loves me or they're going through all this and they're more in their left brain head a lot of the right brain experience, it's feelings. You go with your feelings. You know, do I feel welcomed? I tell all my couples, uh, check in every once a week with each other. You ask each other, how welcome with joy, honey, did you feel this week? Worthy, one to ten, cherished. And if anything's under a nine, you say, how could I have done better? Repeat. If you're on dates, and after a couple of dates, you just check in with yourself. How welcome, worthy. Those are the first ones on first dates. And then eventually, anyways, cherished and empowered, do I feel? If in a month or two you're not feeling all four, 
This is counterfeit love. Okay, whatever they're saying, I don't care how good they are with the lines or what your friends are telling you, but he's a doctor, he's a lawyer, um, you know, she's beautiful, you know, she's this or that, right? She's a dentist, <clears throat> you know. You leave that, it's feelings. When I know that uh, sometimes women will come in and go, oh, I've met Mr. I've met Mr. Wright, and you hear and go, oh, the, I've got one that I've, I've hit the lottery, and he's a doctor. Well, but, and he does Pilates, right? But then when they get on a date a couple months later, yeah, they're going to do Pilates, but he's checking out all the other women. He does, she doesn't feel very cherished, not very worthy. But when we do the work and she feels worthy and cherished, the next time she's got an attorney or a guy who's who's got a really nice, stable job, but he's a little balding, not not quite the V build, but the man with the Hawaiian shirt versus the $2,000 Italian suit, right, makes her feel like a queen, makes her feel all four feelings. Guess which one she chose? Mr. Lottery, Ms. Lottery, is the one that gives you the four feelings. So if you really want to go on things, just start, read the book, go to Amazon. It's just on Amazon. You can go to my website, GarySalier.com, and there's a link there. Read about it and get and let this be your new GPS for love. Gary, I really do thank you for your for your time here. People who's out there, when you're thinking your relationship is rocky, it's not. Make sure you please pick up Dr. Gary um, Salyer's book, Safe to Love Again, How to Release the Pain of Past Relationships and Create the Love You Deserve. There may not be a Mr. Right, but it is a Mr. and Mrs. Somebody out there who will love you for who you are. There's no such thing as a Mr. and Mrs. Wright because you are going to have issues. As Dr. Gary just mentioned before, he previously just ended with about his book. You go somewhere else, they might have the Google eyes for something else. So stop looking for Mr. Wright. Look for someone spiritually who's connected with you. Find your common interest. And I always tell people, maybe you should stop searching and let God do the rest. But each to their own, not pressuring you. But before I leave you, I want to give you the truth of the day. I did. Um, I definitely want to make sure I give you that. That's from my friend Mary Ellen Stignovich, who's also a guest on my show. And the truth of the day is this. Clutter distracts and confuses you. It drains your energy. That is so true. It does. When you are in the midst of clutter, whether it is a clutter of thoughts clouding your mind or a clutter of things in your living room, this organization will drain your energy. Simply thinking about the effort you must put forth to complete your task and launch you into a bout of depression, thus draining your energy. During any busy time of the year, all of us can become overwhelmed. All these times, simply take a deep breath and pray to God to guide you and give you all the time you need to do what you need to accomplish. God will not let you down. Have faith, everyone. Today, begin to organize any clutter thoughts or things, enjoy the day, and myself, I'm going to go declutter. So I'll see you guys next time on the Bright Side with Technisha. You guys have a blessed one. Thank you again, Dr. Gary. Um, I appreciate you. Hope to have you again on the show, but you guys take care. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Bright Side with Technisha. If you like what you heard, tell your dad, mother, cousin, uncle, whomever. 
Be sure to check out the archive section at www.brightsidewithtk.com. 